whales and dolphins and octopuses and crabs, you might want to join them. I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I was thinking about um, the movie Nemo when she said whales. She said they said to say bye whales, and I thought we well, need a dory. You know, if you ever seen that movie, you can tell I've got a few kids. I've seen it many times. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to ask you all to grab your copy of God's Word and turn it to Philippians. And while you're getting there, give you a little update here. Last week, uh, we had a little um, progressive sanctification uh, opportunity uh, with our buddy Davin over here. So, Davin, won't you won't you wave your hand? Here's Davin. All right. If you all remember last week. Uh, we thought Davin might have leukemia, uh, even in early last Sunday morning, and uh, praise God he doesn't. And but it did take a lot of a lot of doctors to find out what was wrong with Davin. A biopsy um, that happened to figure out why his spleen was double the size it was supposed to be, and his liver was enlarged, and all the spots on all that stuff. And when they came back with the result, I was like, "Wow, that's kind of different, right?" And I'm sure you thought so too. And and he ended up having what's called cat scratch fever um and which which can be serious very serious and thankfully took him there and he had some pretty heavy antibiotics i'm sure now and uh, but we're just praising god that um, it wasn't more serious but it was serious enough that if he didn't get medical attention as high as his fever i mean you're hot you're hot that's what the girls say at least Devin. all right but being that hot all the time is not good 105 degree temperature basically is not a good deal and 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 it just maintaining there is not a good deal so um, we're thankful that the Lord um, gave you all a little wake-up call last Saturday to get you in to figure out what's going on, and I know it took longer than you want. But we also want to pray that his spleen does shrink because it's still enlarged. And uh, he, he's got some ulterior motives, not just to be healthy, but he's a wrestler, and he can't wrestle until his spleen goes back to normal size. So we want to pray that uh, God will continue to heal his body, and we're glad you're here, brother. And, but God used that to teach us a lot, all of us last week. Um, that uh, we go through storms, but thankfully that Jesus is in our storm, right? Uh, well, let me, let me direct our attention this morning to uh, Philippians chapter 3. And we'll pick back up our, our study through the book of Philippians this morning. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 16 this morning. And we've entitled this series, Studying Through Philippians, uh, Finding Joy in Christ Alone. And, and the title this morning of the message is Pressing On. And this is probably one of the most popular passages in all of Philippians. Um, I guess sometimes, it's because it's taken out of context, isn't always seen in its fullest sense. And since we've been teaching through the book of Philippians, hope we'll see it in its uh, fullest context and also get it all that God wants us out to get out of this morning. Let me just say this. This is not one of those passages where you go, wow, I wonder what Paul's talking about there. I mean, it's not, I mean, it, it's profound. Uh, and the reason probably it is so popular because it's, it's easy to understand. It's, you're not going to be walking away, well, I didn't get that. Uh, I think that it, it's clear, and we'll hopefully get it by the grace of God and be able to apply it in our life. But before we dive in here, let me just uh, remind some of us, and maybe this will be new to you, and you can look it up, I'm sure, on the Internet when you get home and Google it or whatever on YouTube. But uh, there was a song that came out in the 80s that was kind of funny, but it also had a very convicting and challenging message. Uh, and uh, I just want to re- just be reminded of the lyrics of this song as we look at this passage and the name of the the, the song is called fat baby anybody remember that song huh? nobody besides me amy grant sung it back in the 80s we got three people here that right, that's we knew to a lot of people all right but listen to the, the words of this song um i know a man maybe you know him too you never can tell he might even be you he knelt at the author and that was the end 
He's saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual test. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and I don't mean maybe. He sampled food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible in John 3.16, and he's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. His mom, he's mama's boy, and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said he'll never grow if he never gets fed. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and I don't mean maybe. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. And it's, it's a funny song, and if you ever hear it, it's got the, the backup singers are saying, wah, 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 you know, these people crying, and just, it's just really funny to listen to. But the, if you listen to those words, it's pretty convicting. And the sad part about that, even though um, it's funny, it's also true of many, many Christians not just in our world today, but in many Christians in the life of the church since the church began in Acts 2. It's, it's a sad state. And, and it's, you know, it's cute for a baby to suck their thumb, isn't it? It's, a, it's cute for a baby to make funny na- noises and when they begin to grow, say things that are funny and, and, and their own, you know, pronounce their L's like a W and we all laugh and that's cute and, it, and it's funny to, to, to see them do what babies do, do raspberries, you know, when your baby first goes... And Rory just kind of started doing that here. We got a, a little picture I saw, on, uh, on, I think, on uh, Facebook or something, him going, Pfft. all right? And we go, oh, that's so cute. But when a 20-year-old does that and talks like that and acts like that, we don't think that's cute, do we? Now, when I say that, I understand there's people that do have um, some mental deficiencies that they can't, they, they, don't, they're not, they don't grow in that way. But normal people who don't have those things, to see someone act like a baby, we would all say, that, that's wrong. That, that person needs to grow up. Uh, that, that person needs to, to mature. They quit acting like a baby. And uh, God wants all of us that have been born again to grow up spiritually, to, to mature, to not continue to be spiritual babies. And this is a theme all the way out, all throughout the scripture. And in fact, uh, not that he, does he want us to grow up and mature? He's committed to us to make sure that we do grow and mature and we don't remain babies. Now, sometimes he does that through pain. And that's, no, we don't like that part, right? Uh, if you've ever spanked your kids, they don't like that part. But that's part of the maturing process. Sometimes we, you, you have to, to take away privileges. It's part of the maturing process. The maturing process in the life of as we grow physically um, but he's committed completely committed to us to grow us and to make, him, make us more like Christ so in Philippians 2 verses 12 through 16 which we'll look at this morning God through Paul is going to exhort us to grow up to grow up and, and if you don't get anything out, else out of this just remember that the Lord is saying this grow up grow up well, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, then we'll pray. But look at ver- beginning verse 12 down through 16. Let me read this for us. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. 
Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for the sufficiency of your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for the, the perfection of your word. And Lord, we come to you and to your word again this morning, asking that you would do only what you can do. And as to change us, to make us more like Christ, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, to challenge us where we need to be challenged. But Lord, we, we need you to do that. We cannot do that on our own. Yes, we can uh, put ourselves in a place where we can grow, we can... Uh, study your word we can read it um, but Lord we need you to change us from the inside out by using your word so we're asking you to do that again this morning and in, in Jesus name we do pray this amen so we're going to examine these these verses this morning we're going to discover something that every Christian is called to and that is this activity of pressing on and, and if you notice I, I, the, the, I, I, I entitled the sermon pressing on to emphasize something I'm going to show you here in just a few minutes in the text, but pressing on. As we examine uh, these verses here this morning, we're going to look at three main truths about pressing on so that we'll be better equipped to do just that, to press on. But before we work our way down through these verses and discover these three main truths uh, they contain, I want us to see the big idea in this passage. The big idea. And you could probably already tell me what the big idea is just by things I've already said, but I want you to see it in the passage itself. Look at verse 12. And notice the phrase in verse 12, uh, there in the second part, it says, but I press on. And then look down in verse 14, the beginning of verse 14, he says, I press on. And this is the emphasis, this is the big idea that God, through Paul, is trying to get across to these original recipients, uh, the, the Philippians, the, the, the Christians at the Church of Philippi, and to us this morning. Um, obviously, uh, Paul knew that they needed encouragement to press on. How would he have known that? Let's see if we've been listening. How would he have known that they need encouragement to press on? Remember that Paul had planned this church and then had visited it uh, twice more after he planted it. And now he's in prison when he writes this letter. And the church of Philippi sent a guy to bring a gift to Paul while he was in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest so he could have visitors. Uh, so anybody remember the name of the guy that uh, went and took this gift from the Philippians to him? Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus on his way, or maybe before, you know, on his way or he got there, he got sick almost to the point of death. And Paul holds him up as a, a man that was selfless. That he lives out the principle of Philippians 2, 3, and 4 to be selfless and put others before yourself. And, and Epaphroditus, on his way back, took this letter back to the church of Philippi. I wonder what their conversation was about this topic. Maybe there's some people in the church of Philippi who weren't pressing on. In fact, not maybe, I guarantee you there were some people in the church of Philippi that were not pressing on. So Paul addresses this in, in light of the things we've already studied as well. So he, he takes this back, and Paul knows he needs to encourage and exhort the believers in the church at Philippi to press on. And we too need to be exhorted uh, to press on. But 
the word press on here, it's one word in the Greek, it means to pursue, to run after, to follow hard after something. Uh, and the word is also both times used in this passage and some supporting verbs. It's an active verb in the present tense. So what that means for us is that we conti- it's a continual pursuit of something. Not a one time. Now, I, I, often people think about pressing on, and I think of athletic terms often because that's what I've done for a long time. I don't do this anymore because my shoulders won't take it. But you do the bench press, right? And it's kind of over real quick. This isn't a bench press. This is a pressing on. Now you see why I put pressing on in the title. It's a present tense. It's a continual thing you will do the rest of your life as a Christian. You are called to press on. Paul says, I press on. I press on. I press on. I press on. And the record is broken in this. We keep pressing on. Paul presses on. So in a nutshell, Paul passionately and persistently pursues Christ. And here's our question as we look at this. Do we? Do you passionately and persistently pursue Christ? That's what Paul does here. So let's turn our attention here to these verses and, and look at the first main truth about pressing on. And that is a clarification before pressing on. If you've got the back of the bulletin, you can put that fill in the blank there. But if not, you can write that down if you take notes. A clarification before pressing on. Paul wants to clarify something uh, to the recipients of this letter before he moves on kind of to the next subject. Have you ever said something to someone? Maybe it's been kind of a short statement. And maybe it's very strong or it's... Uh, um, uh, very soft even, and, and you know almost as soon as you get out of your mouth that you're going to have to clarify what you just said. My dad preached a sermon one time many, many years ago, and I'll never forget the sermon. And here's the title of the sermon. Three people I'd like to tell to go to hell. You'd probably like to hear that sermon, right? All right, and then he clarified his statement. All right, which you, you would be, especially when he started off, I would like to tell... Mrs. Goolsby, who was, had taught Sunday school for like 130 years, I think, at that church. An old, sweet lady everybody loved. I would like to tell Mrs. Goolsby to go to hell. What? Well, let me explain to you what I mean. He clarified his statements. And many times we say that. And what he did was, he, he, so they could go back, they could go to hell, and maybe come back and tell us what it was like, because you don't want to go there. So that clarifies the title of my dad's sermon. And we say things all the time that we immediately follow up with something else, right? To clarify, to make sure people understand what we say. And maybe we need to do it more often. Right, husbands and wives? Right? We need to clarify what we say to make sure that we are being understood. And Paul is doing that. Um, this, in verse 12, look what he says. He says, not that I've already obtained it, or have already been made, become perfect. He's clarifying what he has just said. Obtained what? That's what we ought to ask. Obtained what? what? What has he not obtained or already made perfect? He made it clear in verses 8 through 11 that his greatest desire was to gain Christ, to be perfectly found in Christ, to know Christ perfectly. That, that was his goal. That's what he wanted to do, and he was pursuing that. He, he left all the else behind so that he might know Christ. And we talked about last week that he had been given the righteousness of Christ, which comes through faith and not by the works of the law. But with that righteousness that he had been granted by faith in Christ, he also wanted to pursue Christ and become perfect in Christ and know him fully to, to what we would be called ultimately sanctified, which would not ultimately happen until he was glorified as well. But... um. 
This was in contrast to the Judaizers, and we talked about them last week, and I'll give you a little review. The Judaizers said it was Jesus plus something, and we all know that Jesus plus something equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals the righteousness of Christ. And they were saying, hey, yeah, we believe in Jesus. That was all good that he came, but you also have to do this and this and this and this, and that's heresy. And if you do this, this, and this, and then you will be made perfect. So they're having Bible studies down the road and and getting people to come that were in Church of Philippi. And they were going, they were hearing, oh, these people have become perfect. They've they've attained perfection. Wow. And and Paul knows that's going on. These Judaizers are there and they're, they're, they're introducing things that are not true, things that are damning heresies. Not minor things, but damning heresies. And, and he, 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 he calls on them and, and presents something that's completely different. Not that I've been, I've obtained it or been made perfect. I haven't attained to really knowing Christ fully and, and being perfected and, 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 and completely sanctified. And we saw last week, if anybody could be perfect in keeping the law, it was who? Paul. And that's what he does in verses 4 through 6. He says, hey, my spiritual resume, hold yours up next to mine. You're not even close. And he gives this whole resume of what he was. I mean, and it says in Galatians that he was exceeding far above all of his countrymen in being a Pharisee. No one was better at keeping the law than Paul. And he shows the fallacy of that. And so he lets him know. I'm not talking about what the Judaizers are saying, that they become perfect and they're no longer, they don't even sin. I'm talking about something completely different. And, and, and I haven't even obtained that yet. I, I'm growing. I'm in a process. I, I don't have it yet. I, I'm on the road. So he clarifies this truth so they don't misunderstand that Paul might be actually teaching what they're teaching. No, I haven't. I'm not perfected. I, I'm not there. I'm not, I don't know him fully. I haven't, it, it, I haven't been found in him completely that all of my actions and my attitudes and my thoughts are like Christ. I haven't become Christ-like yet. So after he says that, he goes, right, let's move on. And with that, let's move on. Let's, we'll look at the second main truth about pressing on in these verses. The explanation of pressing on. Paul wants to explain to us this term, pressing on. What does it mean to press on? And he does that in verses 12 through 14. He, he says, again, he hasn't arrived. He hasn't become perfect. And, but um, he also basically saying he doesn't just sit around and wait for something to happen either. He, 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 let me ask this question. Does Paul live by a philosophy that's been around for a long time, and I think it's wrong, it's unbalanced, let go and let God? Does Paul live like that? Just like, all right, God, come on. Make me mature. Let's go. And you just sit there. And many people say that, and they use that t- terminology, and I'm telling you, that terminology in and of itself is bad. You just let go and let God. I told you my buddy Kurt at the University of Kentucky, now, he was a football player there with me, and, and he would, one day I saw him wandering around. Remember this? And he's just wandering around, and he, and he, Kurt, are you in class? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for God to tell me to go to class. And I'm telling you, Kurt, God told you to go to class. Somebody's paying for your education to go to class. Go to class. You've got to do something. You can't just stand there. And Paul doesn't just stand there. He doesn't say, okay, I'm just going to, okay, hit me, God. All right? Uh, um, if you remember, we looked at this fallacy um, of this philosophy, let go and let God, back in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. And Paul answered the question, who is working? So look at those verses with me again as we, as we begin to look at this. Uh, look back in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2 in your Bible. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But don't stop there. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Who is working? God or me? And the answer is yes. Yes. God is at work. I mean, I'm at work because God is at work in me. You are at work because God is at work in you. The answer is yes. God is at work. And you are at work too. There's not this let go and let God. So in keeping with what he's already taught, Paul does not just sit around doing nothing and hoping that he'll gain Christ and be perfectly found in him and know him perfectly in an intimate way. He doesn't just sit there. He, he does something. So he looks again there in verse 12. 12 it says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so I may lay hold of that for which I, I was also laid hold of Christ, by, by Christ Jesus. He, he presses on. He pursues. He runs after this. And remember, it's an active present tense. He's always doing this. It's a consistent, persistent thing in his life. Also notice the phrase in verse 12, to lay hold of. And the ESV says, to make it my own. And this word has the idea of an, a strenuous attempt to reach a goal. It's not a stroll in the park. It's not just, I'm pressing on. That's not pressing on. Pressing on is working through it and fighting through it. There's tough things coming along. And you're moving. And, 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 and there's effort involved. It's not just the wind blowing you. He's not just sitting around uh, in a lotus position hoping that God might change him. He's pursuing. He's pressing on. Notice the phrase. Um, so, so, uh, but before I say that, let me ask this question. What is he pursuing? To what is he pressing on? Well, look at these words. Verse 12, he says, obtained it. Later on in verse 12, he says, laid hold of that. Verse 13, laid hold of it. Verse 14, toward the goal for the prize. So, so let's look at this. We need to define that and it and the goal for the prize. And, and so doing, and we define this, we're, we're, we're going to define what Paul is pursuing. All right, look, look at me at verse 12. So that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now the ESV says this. It's the only one that's a little bit different. It says to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It still gets to the heart of what he's trying to get across. So what is the purpose for which Jesus laid hold of Paul or made him his own? Well, what's the purpose that Jesus did that for? Why did he do that? Well, Paul could have been alluding to his conversion in Acts 9. And in, one, in some sense or other, Jesus physically laid hold of him. It wasn't passive at all. It was a physical, he blinded him, and if he was riding on a horse, he knocked him off his horse. And, and, he, and he awakens Paul, and he tells Paul that, that, that uh, basically, I want you to go to Damascus, where he's going to kill Christians already. I want you to go to Damascus, there's a guy named Ananias, and I've talked to him, and he's waiting on you. He's going to tell you how I'm going to use you. And this is his conversion experience, and Paul shares it a couple more times in Acts. Well, he also lets Ananias know that Paul is coming, and Ananias is like a little scared. This guy's been taking Christians out. And God says, no, he's coming to you, and, and I want you to tell him this. And this is what he tells him in, in Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, speaking to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. The Lord had laid hold of Paul to take the gospel to the, every tribe and tongue and nation. And we see this the Gentiles to kings, and we'll see in Acts that Paul goes before kings, and the sons of Israel. These to take the gospel to all these people. And what's amazing you see in the book of Acts, that's exactly what Paul does his whole life. He expands the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the most parts of the earth. 
So we could say here at least that the Lord laid hold of him to take the gospel to all these people. This would at least be in some way why he laid hold of Paul. Uh, and, but I would also say that this falls under a greater overarching goal or purpose for which Christ laid hold of Paul. And, and I think Paul stresses this and, and, and describes it um, when he writes to the Romans in Romans eight twenty nine. He says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Look, for what purpose? To become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. The Lord laid hold of Paul. He made him his own in order to conform him more to the image of Jesus. To make him more like Christ in every way. Did Jesus take the gospel to the, those around him in his world at that day? You bet he did. That was a part of what Jesus did. That was a part of what he did. He came to glorify the Father. And he was the Son ultimately, right? But God has called Paul not only to just preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And the Lord has laid hold of all those who are his by faith to conform us more and more into the image of his Son. Paul says he presses on to attain this, to become more like Christ in every area of his life. And we're to, to, to press on and to be conformed in every area of our life to be more like Christ. Uh, notice how Paul defines what he presses on towards also in verse 14. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul says he's pursuing this goal of Christ's likeness for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. The prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus is to know him fully. Look at the context. Uh, he's talking that I may know him, uh, that I be found in him. And he wants, it's a passion of Paul, and he's pursuing that he may know him fully, that he may be perfected, be fully conformed to the image of his son. The prize ultimately is Jesus. And the goal is to be more like Jesus, and ultimately he gets the prize, and he gets to stand before the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity, and be conformed completely into the image of Christ. He won't become Christ, don't get me wrong there, but he'll be conformed to the image of Christ. Yet notice also again, in verse, back in verse 13, what he says. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Again, it's, he's clarifying, right? I'm not there yet. This is my goal again. I'm not there yet. I, I, I haven't attained to it yet. He just reminds him he's, he's pursuing it. He, he hasn't become Christ-like in all, his era, in all areas. He doesn't know Christ perfectly in, in, in this way yet. Um, the next question that Paul answers is how to press on. What does it look like to practically press on in our lives? And Paul explains this in two phrases, what it looks like to press on in verse 13. Look there at the second half of verse 13. It says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Two things, forgetting what lies behind. The first thing he says he does in pressing on is forgetting what lies behind. All the good and all the bad. Now, a runner, think about this. If you're a runner, have you ever seen run, running? If you, the Olympics comes around, you watch track and field, which is the best part of the Olympics. It's way better than gymnastics, gymnastics you ladies. I'm kidding. But they, they, they're these runners, and they run. And, and, and if you see a runner do this, they're toast. They're in trouble. Because as they're doing this, maybe somebody might pass them here. And when you turn your head this way, are you most aerodynamic to go fast? 
to be heading toward the finish line, you can begin to drift, and that's what happens sometimes. So you begin to look behind, it hinders your race. You don't look behind. You don't, you don't focus, even as a runner, they don't, you don't want to focus. Think about this. You don't focus on your past accomplishments. You don't carry your medals. I'm an eight-time Olympic gold medalist, and you run with them. And you're looking behind. And that'll weigh you down if you look behind and say, look at all I've done before. I did all that training back there when I ran those gold medals. Doesn't matter now. You're in this race. And you better be focused on this great race and not looking behind. Or it could be all the failures you've had. You know, I've never placed in the top five ever in a race. Now, I'll go ahead and run this again. Uh, but I, I'm just, I just know because of my past, I'm not going to do good. If you run like that, if you're a runner like that, you're not going to do good. So you don't want to look at the past for the good or bad. And Paul, he, 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 he doesn't want to look in the past at his past sins. Think about this. He killed Christians. He, well, at least he, he was affirming to the killing of Christians for sure. We know that. Persecuted Christians. And if you look back at those sins, and he calls himself the, the chief of sinners in the Scripture. If he looks back at those, they can weigh him down and keep him from being effective in pressing on now. And he also he, he forgets, he, he forgets what's behind and all the good things he's achieved even as a Christian. Think about what Paul has done already at this point in his life as a Christian. He's expanded the gospel further than anybody before him. And he could just, I mean, you know, I took the gospel to Ephesus and Philippi and Galatia and I'm in all the, the Galatian churches. And man, look at that. It's pretty good, huh? He's going to have a hard time pressing on if he's looking back at his accomplishments. Paul says all that, good or bad, forgetting. I, I, to, to press on, I must forget what is behind. And for those of us here this morning, we got to forget what's behind. If you're here this morning, and I hear people say this all the time, well, God, Brian, you've ne- you don't know what I've done. You, you have no idea what I've done. And you know, I don't need to know. But God does. And he said that Jesus died on the cross for all those sins. And for us to keep dwelling on the sins of the past does two things. It keeps us from pressing on. It's also an insult to the grace of God who died for those sins. To keep looking back. Don't look back at those things. Look forward. But also, maybe you've become a Christian. Man, you've grown. And God's used you in mighty ways. Maybe God's used you to, to, to bring a lot of people to himself, to share the gospel, when you see them respond. Maybe God's used you in serving, whatever it is. And there's been some great things happening since you've become a Christian. Don't look back. Don't look back and rest on your laurels. Because it'll weigh you down and keep you from pressing on to what God has for you today. When not only... Does he forget what lies behind? But look what he says, second phrase. He says, reaching forward to what lies ahead. And the word here um, means it's a picture of a runner straining with every muscle in their body toward the finish line. Have you ever seen, again, Olympic track and field athletes, and you see even the, the, the long-distance runners, not just the sprinters that are kind of bulked up, but, I mean, you, when they're straining toward that finish line, you see every vein, every muscle. I mean, it's like an anatomy lesson. You just stopped it right there. Everything is straining toward the finish line. And that's the word that's used here. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. That's the picture. And Paul uh, says that that he's not just strolling along and just, okay, I'm not looking behind me. I'm looking ahead. I'm just kind of going along. No, he's giving all he's got. I mentioned this a few weeks ago that when I was at the Atlanta Falcons and they would take film of everything we did in practice and um, 
uh, one of the things we, we learned that the eye in the sky never lies. So you can talk about how good a practice you had. But when you go to the film room, it's gonna be, you're going to be found out real quick how good a practice you had. And in the first practice out there, the ball will be away, and we're, I'm running over there, and I'm running, right? And, and uh, they get in the film room and say, McKenzie, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm running to the play. And he looks at the veteran and says, what's he doing? He's doing the pro glide. He's kind of gliding along to get over there. So what happens if somebody breaks that tackle? If you're doing the pro glide, he's going to glide right down the sidelines and score. You don't do the pro glide. And Paul's not doing the pro glide here. He's getting over there as fast as he can with every muscle he's got to get there as hard as he can. There's an intensity here about Paul. That's why I like Paul. I know he would have been a linebacker. Um, there's an intensity in the life of Paul to get to the finish line, to attain this that he's after, to become more like Christ. There's an intensity in his life, all the while empowered by the Holy Spirit in him. I understand that. But he keeps focused on the goal. He keeps focused on the finish line. I remember when I began to start running track. I love track and field. And, and I was a sprinter. And, it, and so in the 100, they said, keep focused on the hit finish line. You've got to keep your focus there, looking right at the finish line. You can't look around. You can't look at the stands. Keep focused on the finish line. That's what he's doing. And he's straining with all, his, all he is. The author of Hebrews um, reminds us of this when he writes in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, reaching, straining to what is ahead. That's what Paul says means to press on, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. He explains that his goal in life to passionately and persistently pursue Christ will be with great effort by looking forward and not, from, and not behind. Let's look at the third main truth here about pressing on in these verses. and the ex, It's the exhortation of pressing on. Look at verses 15 and 16. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude... And if anything you have different in attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Sorry, for, let that, um, and then verse 16. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we obtain. This is an imperative. This is a command now. It's an exhortation to the people. He's described about he's pressing on, how, how to press on, what that looks like, what he's pressing on toward, how he does that, why he does that. And now he's calling them to the same thing. And he's calling us, if you have by faith placed your tr trust in Jesus Christ, if you are by faith in him, then he's calling you to that this morning too. He exhorts the believers who are, and, and this is a play on words, interesting enough, he, he uses a form of the same word for perfect uh, that he uses tongue-in-cheek in a sense back in, in verse 12. I haven't become perfect like the Judaizers, but here he uses a form of the very same word. He says that, he is, that he's speaking to those as many who are perfect. And the word, word here has the idea of maturity, of adulthood. Not just physically, but spiritually. Those who are mature to have this attitude. What attitude? Well, the attitude of passionately persisting, pursuing Christ's likeness with great effort by looking forward and not behind. That's the attitude that he's, he's just displayed, saying that's what he does. And, and he's saying, I want you to have that same attitude. Those of you who are mature, those of you who are growing in Christ and pursuing Christ, this is the attitude you have. You consistently persistently and passionately pursue Christ-likeness in your life. By not looking behind, but by looking forward. Have this attitude, he says. And if they don't have this attitude, I love what Paul says. He says, 
I'm going to take your arm behind you and twist it up until you get that attitude. You see that? That's in the Greek. I'm kidding you. Um, it doesn't. He doesn't say that. And you cannot do that with people. You can't make them do this. You can't make people passionately pursue Christ. You can tell them how. You can exhort them. You can even give them a list of things that they can do to passionately pursue Christ. But you can't do it for them. And, and sometimes, whatever's going on in somebody's life, there might be a, 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 a for just that time in their life right now, they're, they're not taking steps. And it doesn't mean don't say anything. You keep saying things, but they've got to keep move. They've got to move. And after a while, I, I love what Jared said, um, told me, this guy said, we have learned beyond obedience. We've learned beyond obedience. I've counseled with many, many people, and, and sometimes I've said, you know, I, I don't have anything else to tell you. I've told you the same thing 30 ways, and there's nothing new. There's nothing new by which you need to grow and mature and push past this point. And Paul's saying the same thing here. I can't make you do it. And he's saying, hey, if you have this attitude, look there again in verse 15. He says, and if anything, you have a different attitude toward pursuing Christ with all he is, God revealed this to you also. And sometimes we just have to say, God, we always say, God, it's in your hands, but you just have to say, God, you're going to have to change him. You're going to have to change him. And that's what Paul says. I'm trusting that God will. And I believe God will. If you're truly his, remember, he's committed. He's committed. I love this. He's committed to making you more like Christ. Now, it may be a little harder than other times, but he's committed to doing that. So we have to trust that he is from committed. Then in verse 15, again, um, let us therefore as many, I mean, verse 16, I'm sorry. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. He encourages the believers to keep growing don't go backward you've attained to this level of maturity don't stop don't go the other way and and i say this i'll, I'll maybe go pick up joshua i'm not picking him up now since he's driving sometimes i'll be over around the football players and i'll see some of his friends and they're getting out of practice or whatever and i'll say hey did you get better today and they've learned to with what the right answer is whether they really mean it or not oh yes sir i got better today because i always tell them they'll go i don't know i said well you either got better or you got worse you don't stay the same don't i said don't waste your time not getting better you spent two hours on the field are you going to get better because if you don't get better you will get worse we don't stay the same there's not this we just kind of stay there we keep pressing on and sometimes it's in little chunks and sometimes it's through a lot of pain sometimes it's in bigger chunks and and not as in much pain and and the combination of all those things but we press on And, and that's what paul's doing he's exhorting keep going wherever you are now don't stop because you too haven't obtained it. I haven't obtained it. You haven't obtained it. We haven't obtained Christ's likeness yet. But we press on. And Paul exhorts us. God through Paul exhorts us. So let me ask you this question. Are you pressing on? Passionately and persistently pursuing Christ's likeness with great effort. By not looking behind. But by straining and looking and reaching forward. Are you pressing on? How? Well, how does this happen? How do we forget what lies behind and press on toward the thing and reach forward to the things that are ahead? How do we do this? Well, God has given us things and he exhorts things, gives us things and exhorts us to do things that put us in the, with the greatest opportunity to press on, to become more like Jesus. And some of those are choices. And some of those are how we deal with things that aren't choices. God grows us in many ways, many, many ways. The first one is through his word. And so well, I know that answer, and so do I. But I need to be exhorted to be in God's word. 
to read his word, to study his word, to, to memorize his word daily. Daily. The greatest illustration, I knew God would give, bring this back at the moment. I didn't know it was going to be an illustration. But the day, greatest illustration of this for me is when my dad and I rode across the state of Kentucky. It's been a few years ago. Uh, we were 500 miles across the state of Kentucky in five days. Got on my bike, and I've been training some around here. Where there's no hills around here, but I've been training, you know, and, and, and getting ready for this. And we got on the bike, and we went from the, the, dipped our back wheels, back tires in the Mississippi River, and we were going to dip our front tires in the Ohio River in Ashland, Kentucky, for some of the, some of the southwest to the northeast of Kentucky, 500 miles. So we dip them in, we take off. First day, we go 120 miles. I've never ridden over 80. Okay, 120 miles. And my dad's got me by quite a few years. Okay? So we get in, we're rolling along, something like that, and we get to the, to, and my, my mom would do, she'd go ahead and she'd get a hotel room where we're going to stop. So he, she gets this hotel room, we come in and we shower. And after I sh- showered, now you probably, some of you have heard this before, I laid down and I couldn't move. I'd never been so completely drained of all energy in my life. And I mean, I played sports my whole life, but I'd never done anything like this, 120 miles. And there were some Whopper Hills in western Kentucky, which I didn't know there were. I thought it was going to be later on the ride. 120 miles. I laid down, and, and dad, my dad said, hey, let's go downstairs. We've got to get something to eat. I said, dad, I, I don't feel like eating. I don't want to eat. He said, son, you've got to get up and eat. Dad, I do not feel like eating. I'm completely, I cannot get up. He said, son, if you don't get up and go eat today, you will not be able to ride tomorrow. So finally, I got up, and we went downstairs. I mean, I've just, I never, and I've never felt like this that since. It's probably why I hadn't ridden rid, rid across the state of Kentucky again, all right? And just completely, and I got down, and I, and I began to eat. I began to eat and began to eat. In about 30 minutes, there was like an adrenaline rush. I was completely empty. My fire had burned everything up in me. And I learned, you can't just eat every once in a while. You can't just eat when you feel like it. You better eat all the time, because there's going to be a time when you're going to feel just like that spiritually. We got to eat. How many of y'all just eat like once a week here? I'm looking around, nobody. All right, because if you did, you wouldn't be here. You'd be in the hospital if you ate once a week. We've got to eat daily. Daily, because we need God's word to fuel us to do what he's called us to do, to press on, to become more like Christ. That's what God's word does. I, I think about this. I think, think about the children, in, in, uh, the children of Israel wandering around, and, and they complain all the time, and God gives them manna. You remember that? He gives them manna. He gives them cornflakes. Corn all right, I actually says it's supposed to be sweet, so maybe it's frosted flakes. But it's all over the ground, and they're supposed to go out every day, right? And they take enough for their family. An omer, whatever that is, okay? They take however many omers they need for their family, all right? And they, they take those, and they, and they eat that throughout the day. But what happens if they save some of that for tomorrow? What happens to it? It rots. It rots. And yet so many people are trying to live off yesterday's, yesterday's manna. Well, you, know, you know, last year when I was reading this devotion or reading this passage of scripture and they haven't read anything since then, they're trying to, you can't live off yesterday's manna. You need new manna every day. You need the word of God every single day to sustain you. It also says what, it, what the Israelites are supposed to learn. They need to trust God every day. And by not doing that, say they didn't trust God. I'm going to save a little bit. I'm going to do it my way, God. God said every day, every day, you can come and I'll provide for you. And every day we have the word of God written before us we can read, we can study, we can pray through it. So we can grow in pressing on and become more like Christ. The next thing is prayer. We're exhorted to pray daily. 
Morton Daly says, pray without ceasing. Try that one on. Maybe we just start with daily, right? But pray without ceasing and just an attitude of prayer to praying. And it also says, Lord, we trust you. I'm trusting you to grow me. I'm trusting you to show me how to apply your word in my life. I'm trusting you to make me more like Christ. Prayer. Prayer. And don't make it complicated. Just cry out to God. Speak to God. I'm telling you, some of you have taught this. Pray the Psalms. God gave us the Psalms so we could give them back to him. If you don't want to pray, just take a psalm and pray the principles of the psalm. You'll never, ever get bored of praying. Ever. Pray the psalms. Next is fellowship. We need each other, don't we? And this is not just eating together. This is koinonia. This is sharing our lives together. We've got to share our lives together. And some of that also means accountability. It means being honest with each other. I need help. I blew it here. Somebody help me. Or exhorting someone and getting to know people. You've got to have that. And sharing all to help everyone grow. And then serving. We don't want to be a dead sea. The dead sea, the reason it's dead, because all it does is it has, has input, but no output. And it's so salty, nothing can live in it. You've got to have output, all that we're taking in, to, 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 to dispense all around you. Through evangelism, through service, to those around you. Those things got to be there. And all that helps us become more like Christ. It helps us attain this goal of Christ-likeness to be more like Christ and to know him fully. That's real practical. God makes it clear for us. We, we can do that here on Sunday mornings, and that's important that we should be here. We can do this through life groups, and we're going to have a life group kickoff here in a few weeks. You can sign up for a life group and get in a small group and, and share life together with other people in, our, in this body and get to know them. Uh, you can do it through Bible studies, and we've got some of those that are offered as well. Uh, you can do that through missions opportunities and serving uh, w- through your life group, through service opportunities we have here at Grace in the, uh, inside of the church building and also outside of the church building into our community. So let me ask you this question. Are you pressing on? Are you passionately and persistently pursuing the person of Christ so that you might become more like him? Are you doing that? I'm telling you, we could never grow too much in this area. We can never become too much like Christ. I've got to kind of slow down. I'm getting a little too much like Jesus. I've never heard anybody say that. And if they do, they don't have no idea what they're talking about. They're not even close if they think they're. We are, man, I, I'm not there yet. We've got to be like Paul. If Paul is like that, count me in. I want to know Christ. I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on and press on. So church, let me exhort you by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working you to press on. To press on. Forget what's behind. Press on. Reach forward to what lies ahead and all that God has for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you that it's clear. We can't miss this. It's not a a mystery. Uh, Lord, it is clear. So Lord, I pray by your grace, Lord, you would bring conviction and change in all of our lives, in different areas of our lives. We need to press on. Lord, help us do it persistently, to do it daily, to to do it throughout our day, to press on, to know, to know Christ and all that he is and, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Lord, help us as we walk out of this building to not feel like we've just pressed on, but help us always be in the mode of pressing on. Lord, we thank you that you promise us. We press on. As you you empower us to press on, you will conform us more and more in the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.